You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the games begin. This episode is part of our Move the Dirt series, designed to empower you with the tools to move towards your goals. Move the Dirt is something we say a lot here at Power Athlete. The dirt is the dirt. It's that lazy, fearful, bitch-mode voice in your head that says, too tired, too busy, too old, too injured, too whatever. You can't reason with it, but you can move it. Some days you get a big-ass shovel in your hands and it's easy. You're strong, you're motivated, you're king of the world. But some days you get a spoon, and you still got to show up and move that shit anyway, rep by rep, spoon by spoon. So long as you're moving a little dirt every day, you're digging in the right direction. If you're sick of the dirt dominating you and you want to be master of your own self, walk the Power Athlete path with us. Visit powerathletehq.com forward slash training and start moving the dirt today. Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Wellborn, CEO of Power Athlete, and this is Power Athlete Radio. And I'm joined by Mr. McQuilkin over here. The Director of Performance, and I am excited to welcome our dear friend of the podcast, Dr. Matt Zanis, DPT, Director of High Performance and Rehabilitation for USA Shooting, owner of Rooted in Movement and Power Athlete Coach. Here's the data. 80% of nutrition resolutions fail after just one month. What we help make happen is you moving the dirt past February 1st. So here's the deal. If you want to tack the year of purpose, stay the course and hit your goals, you need Power Athlete Programming. It's been battle-tested at the highest level and gets results for every level of athlete. As a special offer this January, if you commit to the cause for a year, you get the full Power Athlete experience for less than a dollar a day with an extra 200 bucks of content for free, a one-on-one consultation to help you set your goals, and a nutrition protocol of your choice. Visit powerathletehq.com forward slash training and start moving the dirt today. Thanks for having me. It's always a blast to be here. If you want to check us out on YouTube or Spotify to see the action in person, check us out. Go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Give us a like, five stars, all that jazz. And Matt, welcome to our Move the Dirt series. You're one of the experts that we decided to bring out and take advantage of all your knowledge and experience. And one of the things that you face every day when people aim to get back into training, get back into weightlifting, and they're faced with either a fear of starting or they got back into movement and they got hurt and they find themselves in your office. Yeah. The one place you don't want to have to be, right? And you're there every day. <laughs> I am. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I do see um, a lot of injuries. There's a lot of resistance to uh, starting something new, especially in a new year. You get a lot of, of the resis that come out from the woodworks. And uh, there's a lot of eagerness, I think, to start a new program and to work towards a goal of looking better naked. Maybe there's an aesthetic piece of there, getting stronger or working towards performance. But there's always that little underlying thought in the back of the head of what happens if I get hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the biggest piece of resistance that we, that we see come out of all of this. That usually stalls progress, number one, uh, but then also prevents people from getting started to begin with. So do most of the people come to you because they're injured or is it more of a fear of injury? Well, that's actually a really good question, too, because um, my specialty is I get all the people that have been down the rabbit hole of all the different providers over the years, all the different chiropractors, physical therapists that have failed physical therapy or failed rehabilitation. Uh, So they're usually like a a puzzle by the time they come to see me. So when they come in, there usually is a lot of fear around movement Mm -hmm. and a lot of fear around um, the rehabilitation process because they feel like they've they've kind of come to a, a hard stop, right? They come to the end of the road and they think that the only solution then at that point is drugs and surgery. Mm-hmm. But that's what I love to work with because then there's usually more of a psycho psychological or psychosomatic component to it that has a lot to do with fear. Fear of movement, fear of avoidance from moving. Yeah. Well what's that that sense that they are mm-hmm. seeking you out because somebody said surgery <clears throat> or drugs is there something net, like natural in their mind that says that that doesn't feel right? I need to find somebody else. 
I think that there's an intuitive intuitive is the word pinging I was for. underpinning pinning going on there where they are um, ju- just battling with that internally of like yeah it just doesn't seem right like there has got to be another avenue and you know nine times out of ten surgery and drugs are not the answer we could always find a solution you just have to know how to know how to look at it or look for that source of the problem well the first thing we usually encounter when somebody gets hit with an injury is they stop moving mm-hmm. um, I just fielded a question to to uh, my email today from a guy who and was following a program, um, ended up developing some sciatic nerve pain. Mm-hmm. First thing he did is cancel the program because, of course, that's exactly what you should do when you get injured is stop moving and stop training. He, and he's speaking sarcastically. Yeah, I'm speaking. Oh, I, I didn't know I needed to tell the people that I was being sarcastic. <laughs> so then actually emails me telling me, hey, I canceled the program. I think I might have made a mistake because if I stop moving, what's the chance of this getting better? And I was like, none. Absolutely zero. Zero. The zero. only thing that stop moving will do was one, decondition you, you get weaker, mm-hmm. maybe allow some of the pain to abate, but it's not fixing the problem in any way. If anything, you have mm-hmm. to continue to train, figure out what the mechanism is. Yeah. Um, I recommended your back course that we have on powerathletehq.com. Uh, forward slash academy. Forward slash academy. If you look for courses, you can go and see Dr. Menace's uh, back pain course. And I recommended one, check out this course. Two, rejoin Grindstone, start training. And then three, find somebody local that you can go see, whether it be a you know, DPT uh, physical therapist or maybe even a good Cairo to help you start working through some of the sciatic pain and help you get back on the road to recovery. Yeah, because all that pain is is just information, right? It's telling us something about our body um, that may not be moving in the right direction or there might be something biomechanically off. Or the, because, because there could be something psychologically going on, like we, we brought up with the fear component, where the brain is being very uh, defensive over a certain movement pattern. Like you see with the sciatica stuff and back pain, it's either going to be bending forward or coming up, up from a, a bent over position, like pulling a deadlift off the ground. <clears throat> and uh, ironically enough, I, t- I recently had sciatic issues when I was in Croatia, uh, working with our uh, shooting team out there, because I went down into a middle split, project balls to the floor, mm. was completed though. Accomplished it. Was However, it, was yeah, it you can't cheat and get long balls. Well, I was well, going to say, the thing. I took well, my pants off. And <laughs> is it because you have a, uh, you're, you're like, I've been stretching my sack to try to have a saggy sack so Those I can get tiny numb. kettlebells? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, balls, gross. Yeah, they were weird. Looking. He's like, I'm thinking of having a ball wrist sack reduction. How do I get the rid of my, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so I got cocky and I got close to the floor after like 16 hours of a flight over there and did like the most muscular pose in the bottom. Mm. and lost my hip position, so it internally rotated, mm-hmm. tore up the piriformis. Muscle wasn't a problem, but it was the inflammation from the, the injury wow. that put pressure on the sciatic nerve and caused all those issues going down the leg. Numbness, tingling, not being able to bend and straighten the knee, not being able to walk right. And it's a really interesting component. I tell this story because in that moment, I too went through a, a fearful state of like, holy shit, I'm here to help all my athletes. I can't even walk let alone sleep at night, can't find a comfortable position, can't get out of bed, can't move. What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to get through this? And there's always going to be a component of that. Uh, and that's where most of my job is helping to reinstill and rebuild confidence in people. And it's just like starting with just a little bit and slowly starting to progress. It's like moving the dirt, right? It was just like a little teaspoon at that time where I was just doing little back bends on the bed, which progressed into uh, just some like nerve flossing type stuff on the ground, which progressed into do some hinges on the wall. And eventually I got myself to the point where my brain was no longer defensive over those movement patterns and it allowed me to walk. And the cool thing about that is if you get on the right track, momentum builds. Mm-hmm. That's the cool part about the confidence piece, right? Because you can start adding to it each and every day and you can see progress being made if you know how to attack it. But that came through a lot of self-assessment on my own part, um, which is what that back health course allows you to do. It takes you through a bunch of different self-assessments to try and figure out, okay, what might be the problem here? And that's another interesting point. A lot of the back pain is really coming from the hips more so than anything else. Can't um, be representative of that. Uh, you know, everybody, if you've lifted weights and trained, especially done a contact sport, you've probably at some point had some sciatic nerve pain. It's usually a pain that runs down like right in the middle of your butt cheek. And it kind of culminates right in that point. And for some people, it's extremely debilitating. For me, anytime I start feeling it come on, uh, usually a mix of some form of heavy hinging like a, like a squat and maybe a reverse hyper or some type of deal, but usually something heavy fixes it, and I don't know why that is for me. Well, you bring up a really good point there because there's a lot of fear around, around lifting heavy weights in particular in a training program because we think that that, or most people think that that's going to be the, the leading cause of an injury, um, but it's far from the truth, at least when uh, you look at all the evidence and the literature out there, there's really no supporting evidence either way, right? So lifting light weights for high repetitions 
has just as much risk as lifting heavy weights for lower repetitions. It comes down to a volume game mm-hmm. at that point. But if you look at it from the other side of the coin, lifting heavy weights builds tissue resiliency and capacity yeah. through, the, through the progressive overload mechanism, right? So it actually gives you more to work with. And the cool part about that too is it actually will knock down that pain response in the brain because we get a lot of um, natural opioid release and endorphins and everything, especially with heavy load isometrics mm. as well. Um, for you, it was a tearing your piriformis mm-hmm. that actually resulted in sciatic nerve pain. For most people that are uh, dealing with some form of sciatic nerve pain, uh, what's really the injury mechanism? Is it sitting too much, weak trunk, weak glutes, or is it just a culmination of a whole lot of things that tends being like the canary in the coal mine is the sciatic nerve pain? The answer is yes. It's everything, right? There's so many different uh, multiple variables that can go into, into play with this thing. But when you hear sciatica, sciatica is just like a kind of a catch-all term for essentially pain into the buttocks and down into the leg. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... When people get that diagnosis, that means a doctor who evaluates them has no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, he's got some pain down the leg. Well, it's it, sciatica. It, I mean, like for me, uh, it usually starts right here at the hip and it usually goes right down the middle of my butt cheek and kind of like ends like right there, like, a, like kind of in a spot. But I know for a lot of people, um, you know, clients we've had or athletes we work with, it starts at the base and goes all the way down the butt cheek, all the way into the hamstring and into the leg and down into the calf yeah. for a lot of people. So mine's never extended that far. I, and as soon as I feel it, I'm like, I got to go do something heavy. And sure. it just tends to fix it. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of different sources for that too. Like you can't have a discogenic source for sciatica, right? The L4, L5 uh, vertebrae with those disc spaces, putting pressure on the nerve as it comes out of the spine. Mm-hmm. 100% you could have that. Uh, but what I see a lot of time is that it's really coming down to the, the inner workings and the biomechanics of the hip and the pelvis and the anonymous or the hip bones uh, being off, right? So you can look at this from a hinge standpoint. You could maybe do a hinge with a nice anterior pelvic tilt on the left and get into a good position with a soft knee bend. But maybe when you do it on the right side, maybe that, that pelvis doesn't go into a nice anterior tilt. And all of a sudden, we say we're staying stuck in a posterior tilt, which is causing a little bit of flexion in the spine. But that could, yes, potentially put some pressure on the disc. But on the other side of the coin, too, they could also put uh, tension and pressure on the nerve roots as they come out and innervate the muscles in the glutes. Mm-hmm. One of them being the piriformis muscle, which that sciatic nerve runs right underneath and sometimes through in some people as well. Man, that's a really weird injury. I mean, I've encountered a lot of stuff and a torn piriformis. I mean, normally like for like the glute and kind of those hip muscles, like it's really rare to actually have that. I mean, you know, normally when I I think about like hip injuries or stuff, it's really, you know, a torn muscle in the hip. That's a kind of strange one. the piriformis a primary mover? It's a, more of a stabilizer. So then, so muscle. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, it, it does externally rotate. Yeah, yeah it's um, for external rotation. Yeah, yeah, but it's not a very big muscle. Yeah, but also, it's not I mean, a big how ass many, muscle. <laughs> most people aren't, you know, all of a sudden in a splits trying to, you know, hover oh, their sack while they're doing the double bicep, and then the foot slips, and then it's like, oh god, man, <laughs> very unique pose. And right? then all of a sudden, he's like, he's like dialing nine one one. He's like, vodka, vodka. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have just been like, uh, let's go get some drinks. It'll be fine. That, that did help, yeah. There's a lot of good beer in Croatia, too. Nice. I must, I must say. I must say. Um, it's interesting, though. You going to say something? Good? No, no, let's yeah wrap this, and then I got build-off questions. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like with all the sciatica stuff and the, and the back pain, <clears throat> excuse me, too, uh, when it comes to this idea of like getting started into a movement program, back pain is usually always at the forefront of everybody's mind. Nobody wants to jack up their back. But you look at the under reason, uh, under underlying reason why, because of that, usually has something to do something to do with what they can't do, mm. or it affects their identity, or their personality, right? But there's really, I think, a much higher price to pay for not training, than training, right? Because oh. I, I look at it like a bell curve, right? So uh, like at one end of the curve, you have people who don't do shit and they're sedentary; they have just as high a likelihood of being in pain because they're not doing shit. Yeah. Versus the other end of the curve, where you have people that do too much and max out every single goddamn day. And then they are likely going to have more pain experiences. But there's, High schoolers, yeah. yeah. But, no, I, I, but there's that middle. There's, there's got to be a sweet spot, right? Yeah, of like unilateral versus bilateral, high load versus low load. And you find out what works for you. You know, uh, Tom Newman and I had a great discussion. He was on episode, uh, pull it up. Um, but we were talking about Dr. Kramer's research. 654. 654. Um, he was on Power Athlete episode 654. We had an interesting conversation talking about advanced athletes that, that have – um, like former professional athlete, people with you know many decades of high volume training. Uh, once they develop a certain amount of neurological efficiency, muscle mass, I mean, all all, all the uh, developed all the neuromuscular pathways, 
Um, there is kind of a maintenance dose, which looks like going heavy, something like once every nine days. And then, you know, on, then on a cumulative volume, like every 21 days, but almost being able to like stoke the fire at certain points. Um, mm-hmm. Like you don't have to go heavy every single day. You don't have to take all of your sets to failure every single day, but at least once every nine days, I think he said once every nine, at least one of the big movers you have to push. Mm-hmm. And then over like a 21 day cycle hit like three of those. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how the nine cool. works into 21 the same way. But as I was looking at my own programming, kind of going through each week and picking a movement that like, I'm going to take this to like a true failure, mm-hmm. max effort, six to eight reps, um, and then some of the other stuff hitting some volume and kind of rotating it through my own program and then realizing, um, you know, for me, uh, the, I've been testing a few different templates. The one I've been working with right now is actually a full body where I do every other day. So it looks like four days a week and then three days a week, four days a week, and then cycling through some different rep maxes and hitting different movements and pulling it through. And as I was discussing with him and he's like, as long as you're, you know, fucking stoking the fire and jamming yourself pretty hard on one of these movements at least once a week. And then over the course of three weeks, kind of cycling through these four um, for you and, the, you know, and this is obviously specific to me, uh, that's sufficient. But mm-hmm. I, uh, what I forget for a lot of people is a lot of people don't have that history of training. They haven't built that big a base. So they're kind of in the, that more beginner's phase. And one of the biggest things that we encounter where people jump in and they might not have the volume of training the same way when they're not in shape to lift weights. So, you know, and we've been harping a lot about, you know, that zone two just base level of conditioning, which, you know, we were laughing a little bit talking about jujitsu, just being able to like be able to roll for five, 10 minutes straight and not fucking gas out, but just having a base level of conditioning so that you're in good enough shape from day to day to actually put the volume of training you need to start to build that base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I bought a rower because my conditioning sucks so bad that by those <laughs> final rounds of, of jiu-jitsu, I was just dying. I didn't want to do them anymore. So yeah. now I have a rower in the gym, and now there's no excuse. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, there, there's a reason that we have uh, echo bikes, assault bikes, and I actually have an assault bike in my like in the foray of our front room. Yes. Because like, like I'll be sitting there and I'll like kind of like be on the computer and I'll just like, I'm just going to go down it for 20 or 30 minutes and I just periodically ride it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also ended up putting the treadmill in there. So then I'll. Yes. Yeah, so if you're a guest at the Wellborn home, the first thing you walk into <laughs> is the exercise, exercise room. room. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's because uh, like I realize there should be no excuse, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's easy to be like, oh, I'll do it later or this. And then when it's right there, you're like, just go get on it. Like you can't get away from it. Don't turn it into a close angle. And you never get back to it. So that's why the rower is on my back porch, <laughs> right when we leave the door to go to the gym. Cause I go to back and forth to the gym all the time. So I'd have to step over the rower to get there and I'll go out and same thing with you, but I'll hit like maybe a 500 meter or a thousand meters every hour or so. And just, that's how I get my conditioning in because yeah. there's no excuse at that point. It's uh, one but of my wanna, favorite coaching cues is get in the way. Get in the way. Now yeah. with the exercise equipment, <laughs> put it in the way of the door. I have yeah. to at least get, you know, 50 quick cows. Well, what about That's, if you ended up having like certain things that you had to unlock with different pieces of equi- exercise equipment in your house? <laughs> For example. The TV remote. You have a TV remote, right? The TV only works for a certain amount of time equal to what you put into the bike. You can like for every five minutes, you can open your refrigerator for 90 seconds. And like, what if like everything was based upon like you had an exercise bike? You're like, all right, I'm going to watch Sunday football. It's going to be three hours. I got to go. Now, here I am with 180 minutes on the bike or, you know, I got to make that week. Yeah. 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 Building all that. I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad. I'm sure people would be upset and be like, oh, you're shaming these people. But even um, the clients we've had who've had shaming. Even the clients we've had, and uh, we're working with one individual now who's um, you know, going into a surgery where they're going to fuse the bottom part of his leg mm-hmm. um, to try to get his ankle to heal, and he's going to be non-weight-bearing for a few months. So what do we recommend? you got to get an echo bike. Put your feet up mm-hmm. and just use your arms. This, yeah, get as good a shape pre-surgery as possible. And keep yep. blood flow going. That's the most important part. Ah. But that's why people put pull-up bars in their doorways too. Yeah. They're me walk by and maybe bang out a few pull-ups because that brings up an interesting, um, I think, talking point for all this, like getting started in the New York conversation is that you try to make it easier for yourself and convenient for yourself because it's the little wins every single day that build up into a big cumulative goal, right? So being able to get some frequency in, and that's what I, like even the athletes that I work with, with my shooting athletes, it's, it's not about having to go to the gym every day and get an hour and a half long session in. It's where can we break it up and get these little movement snacks in that then eventually build into movement snacks. You still love that term, don't I you? I do love that term. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, we use that the Power Athlete Coach Collective. Yes, yeah. movement snacks. We no. got two in. Uh, the <laughs> uh, the one that we've it, so one of my 
favorite research articles had to do with the direct correlation between the amount of push-ups you can do and your likelihood of dying of a heart attack. Mm. So mm. if you could lay down and do 40 plus push-ups, your chance of dying of a heart attack was like 0.001%. And if you go into sciencealert.com, you can mm. do a Google search and you'll find it. Uh, but if it's like you have less than 10 and they kind of gave this morbidity deal. And so we just started testing people that walked in the gym with our fighters, sit down, one set, max reps. Mm -hmm. And then when we went to jujitsu, the guys obviously were teaching, they started doing with all the classes as a way to just get some numbers for me so I could collect a little bit of data. And then uh, we ran into a bigger problem with the fact that most adults don't know how to do a fucking push up. That was what blew my fucking mind. So now, um, yeah, like people this, like I'm like, hey, and I even like we had a class like 20 people and uh, they were like, okay, we're gonna do the one set. And I was like, before we start, this is a push up. And like you have to go all the way up and all the way down. Your chest has to stop on the ground and touch. And even with the demo, people still were like, and some guys like 63. And I was like, you're cutting a quarter. But it was amazing even with shitty push-ups, how many people struggle to get eight, nine, 10 push-ups? And when I started, I was in the 40s, and now I'm pretty consistent being able to get 40, 50. Well, de- yeah, depending on who goes first between us. Yeah. Because we just get one more. <laughs> well, uh, like if you're cold coming in, I mean, 50 is a pretty good number. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some people, I mean, because we throw in the test out on the different programs, and there's people that claim to be able to get 100. But I mean, if you're able to lay down and do 100 straight push-ups without stopping excellent chest to ground all the way lockout, it's pretty impressive. fucking impressive. I yeah. mean, unless you're, I mean, uh, like maybe weight's a factor, but if you're over 200 or 225 pounds and you can give me 100 knockout push-ups, it's fucking pretty impressive. Well, I think that comes back to the fact, too, that people don't really have that foundational level of fitness. And that's why it's such an important time to get started. Like, there's never a bad time because um, once you build the muscle, right, and you have that metabolic capacity of the muscle, it's, it's a lot easier to maintain, uh-huh. yeah. which helps with everything, right? So... People look at people look at me and they're like, "Oh, you're jacked. You must work out every single day." I really don't. It's like, yeah, you just it's wear like three to medium four t-shirts. Mediums, yes, and we fill out the sleeves that way. And you have long hair, which totally throws people off. They can't even see your shoulders; it's just draping so nicely over there. They don't even yes. see the traps. Chris Hemsworth's <sighs> trick. Yes, I well, can put it up for you. The but I, so uh, Joe Rogan had a great comment about this, and I saw it on a, on a little viral clip, mm-hmm. and it was I think it was in relation to people. Uh, you know, uh, Jocko had a interesting piece where he was talking about like you know longevity which i thought was an interesting thing for him to talk on but he was talking about like you know martial arts and training and doing something athletic and it kind of like uh i think it was joe rogan feeding off of that but joe made an interesting point where people are like oh and i think it was in terms of exercising or maybe it was jits or learning something and they're like oh you know uh, i'm too late to learn this Mm -hmm. and he's like well you're gonna be later tomorrow you might as well start fucking today and get on the train. He's like, every day you wait, it's just another day you're waiting. Start today. And I mean, we've been beating that drum for years. I mean, I think even with some of our uh, brand videos, we're like, start today. Fuck tomorrow. Don't wait on it. Like tomorrow, you're going to be one day further back than you should have been. If you start today, you're going to be that much farther, uh, farther ahead than you are. And I mean, it's people all the time. Like I run into people like, oh, I'd like to do this, but I'm afraid of starting. And I'm like, dude, but that's the best part. I mean, I, I love... Uh, and I know this sounds so weird. I love when we go to jits to be a white belt. You know why? Because nobody fucking expects anything from me. Mm-hmm. This belt allows me to suck. And if I don't suck, then I get a deal. But if I do get tapped or I don't learn something, I'm like, hey, man, I'm still in the beginning phase. As soon as you put color around my waist, now people are going to start expecting me to be good. Well, you just took on the another fear I wanted to bring up with getting started. Mm-hmm. And imagine walking into a Globo gym. People think that everybody's looking at them. So... I mean, we need to address that because yeah. they, they're not afraid to be that white belt. They're not afraid to be wow. that amateur or on day one because they think everyone's judging them. Well, uh, because, well, one, I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember. I'll, I'll look it up. But it's like, um, you know, we die a thousand deaths before. I mean, like the, the reality that we create in our minds is a thousand times more dramatic and worse than what it is in reality. So people walk into this gym and they think everybody's watching them, everybody's judging them and this. And they, the true reality is most of those people are just trying to get through their day and survive without somebody fucking thinking the exact same thing to them. Go say something. Go encourage them. It. Go reaffirm yeah. their action and say, hey, you're crushing it. What day is this? Are you just getting, I wouldn't say, are you just getting started? Because they may have 
Maybe I've been dads. training for 10 years. Yeah, I don't know. But go, go, you know, give them a fist bump. Say what's up. The the beauty of the grit group fitness scene, whether it's jujitsu, CrossFit. Or CrossFit. Yeah, people or boot are camp. so, yeah, people are so encouraging. Yeah, it's, it's almost to the point where it's a little concerning with how friendly and more importantly, how supportive people are. You know, you walk into a CrossFit gym, everybody introduces himself. Everybody's excited that you're there. I mean, same thing in Jets, man. Like, yeah. if, if I don't show the amount of people that are texting me, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 we just had a dinner. We had to go to something. Like, okay, you're going to be there, right? And uh, people expect you to be there. And I think what that is, is that's community. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I had a really uh, interesting exchange with Stephen from Off-Road Design, who was also recently on the podcast. Um, we kind of go back and forth. He listens to the pod. I'm sure he's listening to this one. And he will always shoot me an email with some of his thoughts on it. And something that we were rapping a little bit about is the need for community. And within like the truck scene and what he does within off-road, his comment was a lot of guys are just excited to be involved and tinker and working on something because it feels like they're part of it. Whereas his stuff is like, we try to build stuff to actually go out and use to test our products. So it's kind of a different like, you know, like there's no value in us talking or tinkering. Like we have to go use our stuff. And my comment to him is, you know, community is by far one of the most powerful things and also something that men really suck at. As men get older, they tend to become lone wolves and they lose the neural flexibility to go out and make new friends because to make a new friend, you want to have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and you have to be flexible enough to accept new ideas and at least contemplate them. Like if I meet a new person, um, how are you? You know, the, the vulnerability to introduce yourself engage them, listen to what they have to say, and then make a decision on whether or not you want to hang out with this person again. Most people are so crystallized and so rigid that if the person is not 100% in their camp or within their, their confines of you know what, what they're into, they just fucking immediately peel out. And women are really good about creating friendships and you know doing new things, and I think women do a lot better. And I think that lack of community is why men really suffer, and probably three times the amount of men kill themselves as women. And I really believe it's because loneliness mm-hmm. and the inability for community. So anything that you can do that gives you community and gets you out there and gets you involved with people to me is a win-win. Mm-hmm. And getting started with that and Matt, Matt keyed in on this, finding something you like in the world of movement, whether it's weights, whether it's martial arts, whether it's walking, running, I mean, ideally weightlifting, right? In our, in our world, because we're going to get into the importance of muscle well, mass with Dr. Tom, but the suspension, uh, pick up on that, Matt. If finding something you enjoy and the value and connected to that for movement and releasing the brain and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, finding something you're going to enjoy doing is what's going to help you do it for longer, right? Because there's going to be that motivation factor to it because it's enjoyable for you. The worst thing that you can do is get into something that doesn't feed your soul or something that doesn't like recharge your battery, and you'll know that right away. Because you'll, you'll wake up in the morning like, yeah, I really, don't, I really don't feel like going to this class. I really don't feel like hitting this workout type of thing, which there are, I think there are components of that when you're stressed out. But that's like a whole other conversation um, versus something like, and at least I know for, for me and John, since we kind of both started this around the same time with the jujitsu stuff, is that it's, it's a lot of fun and there is a lot of that community there. So it makes you want to keep going back and getting better because you can once again see that progress. Yep. I mean... For me, I don't know if I would have catapulted into doing it if, one, I hadn't gone to Craig Douglas's course and got shot up with the Sims. Um, I'd have to look at those scars every single day. It's a good reminder of uh, that even though I'm a fairly decent fighter on my feet, you lay me on my back, I'm like a big fucking turtle, and I don't like that. So I think, like, for me personally, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, having a goal and then actually working towards that goal and having some representation or some way to kind of ping and check, for me, works. But for a lot of people... I really think that if your goal is longevity, which to me is a really interesting piece because it's broken into a few. You know, when you hear the term longevity, how long do you want to live? I'm not necessarily interested in living to be 100. What I want to do is I want to live as long as I can, as useful and as capable as I can. If I could, like, do everything I wanted and be at 100% until I was in my 70s and 80s and then just lay down and not wake up one day, to me that's how I want to go. What I fear is getting to a point where all of a sudden you lose all function, you can't move, you can't do, you can't be the person that you know yourself to be, and you become a prisoner for 10 years and live in this terrible existence. Like to me, that's by far the worst outcome. So I really feel that when I look at longevity, things that are going to allow me to stay neurally, you know, like a, um, mentally flexible, avoid that crystallization, but can I continue to move? You know, what type of things allow me to stay, you know, useful in a lot of ways, which for me is going to be 
you know, we lose mitochondrial density, so the ability to have that big aerobic base, lose motor unit recruitment, so that you got to lift weights, you know, muscle mass being a great determining factor for longevity with, that we had with Gabrielle Lyon. Um, all of these things are extremely important, but I really think that the training space and the training component is like the secret to longevity. If you're not doing some something, well, one that you enjoy, but doing something that's physically difficult each day, I really think you're just leaving a ton of performance and a ton of longevity on the table. You're speaking to quality of life, right? Yeah. Same thing. Like you don't want to live to be a hunter. You want to have the best quality of life that you can have for as long as humanly possible. Yeah. And yes, I think it's important that you do find a, a activity or a movement practice that you really, really enjoy. But we also have to understand, like John was speaking to, that the weight training component of it, resistance training, is vitally important to that. Right, because that is what's going to help stave off injuries, reduce your risk of injury, make you stronger. But then also, um, from the other other side of the coin, is the movement variability aspect of it. Because learning a new movement program or motor pattern, just like solving a puzzle, like doing Sudoku or crosswords or stuff like that every day, it does help regrow those neural networks. And that's what we know leads to things like Alzheimer and dementia. Is you stop learning something new, and all of that capacity in the brain just starts to kind of shrivel up. Wow, the um, man, I was reading a ton of research and it was really just um, um, like all the stuff that's come out about Alzheimer's, about the way that we were treating it and the model that they were using and kind of the mechanisms for it were completely cooked. Um, that the way that we understand it um, has been sold to us in different ways and, and the research has been uh, anything if refuted. I mean, really it comes down to uh, insulin sensitivity, I mean, uh, living a healthy lifestyle. I mean, exercise being a, a factor for regenerating, you know, brain tissue. I mean, it just really goes to show that, you know, the idea of being extremely oxidative with a lot of body fat, carrying a lot of muscle, being healthy. I mean, all the things we've been talking about here really are the ways that you starve off and avoid Alzheimer's and these, mm -hmm. you know, forms of aging illness. And I think anybody who's thinking that, oh, I'll start tomorrow, or what if I get made fun of? I think you just got to cast the stone. You got to get out there and at least put your foot in the water and be there because I think every day you wait, you're just missing an opportunity. Yeah. Cause what we're speaking to here is a lot of the benefits of training and of moving and of resistance training. And like, there's definitely the neurocognitive component of it, but then even just physiologically within the joints, like if you, I like to use the analogy cause we're, <laughs> there are a lot of physical therapists out there that like to compare the human body to a car, mm. which it's far, it's can't be much farther from the truth. Right. Cause <laughs> a, a vehicle, a vehicle is a very complicated machine but when it comes to um, movement, think about a car. Like you don't want any, you don't want any variability in the lug nuts, right? Yeah. They want to tighten everything down, make sure it's it's like moving appropriately. Everything's biomechanically set to the exact degree and specific angle. And then when there is variability in there, shit starts to break down, start to wear weight, wear, wear, wear with the axle. Something happens with with the motor, right? But versus the human body's a lot different. You could lose a tire in a car, and you can't drive the car. You could lose a limb as a human, and it's a self organizing body, right? We can figure out new ways to keep moving forward. And that's the, the vital importance of this movement variability piece too, is because our joints are meant to have a lot of play. Yet, what do we do when you go down too far into the rabbit hole of only doing weight training, right? You build yourself into a movement prison mm. where now you limit your mobility around the well, joints. Well, let's look at weight training in terms of a few different paradigms. I mean, if you're talking about the big three, where now you're just talking about yeah. bench squat and deadlift and you're training yeah. within powerlifting. Um, now we're just moving, you know, feet are planted, moving from point A to point B. Um, when I think of weight training, uh, I think of, you know, different planes of motion, X, Y, and Z axis, step, squat, lunge, all the stuff that we do within a power athlete program that develops and fosters athleticism and using weight to challenge yep. posture and position through full range of motion movements, but then actually taking that and then utilizing it in some form of, you know, competition or something that involves athleticism. Now for most people, um, that might never be an issue, but I really think that if you train with that lens, mm -hmm. the minute that that arises or the opportunity presents itself, you have the skills to go and do something. Mm -hmm. And the, the line I always use for people, because inevitably I always get this question of, well, how much weight should I be lifting? It comes oh. up all the time, right? And so my answer is always... That's such a weird... Um, a weird? I, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. That, that's right, like... Where, where are you at? Uh, like, I... That feels like a weird one. Yeah. So my answer is always the same. It's you should be using a weight that allows you to move through the fullest range of motion possible under control. It seems like some pretty good guidelines for you. Yeah. And then once you become trained and you want to start pushing the different 
um, characteristics and aspects of sports performance and like power and speed, like that's going to change the question a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And we could use shorter ranges of motion depending on what the goal is. But if the goal is health and longevity or rehabbing from an injury, that's my guideline. How, how far can we move through the range? Can we express the greatest amount of range possible and be strong in that position? My question for you, Matt, mm -hmm. what can people expect they're getting into training or they're taking on the challenge of a more athletic themed challenging strength and conditioning program what can they expect within the body mm -hmm. recall john like the first day of training camp how freaking sore were you despite of all the training like that kind of feeling and how long is it two weeks that i need to take off after that first workout or <laughs> get back after it the next day <laughs> well you have to understand what you're getting yourself into right and if you are coming from a state of deconditioning or you haven't uh, done a lot of movement or that specific movement pattern in general, right? You're going to be feeling all the feels. You're going to be stimulating sensors in the organelles and every single tissue in your body. And yeah, it's probably not going to be comfortable. You're going to be sore, but it's understanding um, what this soreness and this, this, this discomfort means that then sets the trajectory, right? Because we come back to the mindset piece of it. Some people will, let's say they feel sore in their back after pulling some deadlifts. Well, maybe you have been deconditioned for a little bit and you feel soreness in the back. It doesn't mean that your back is doing anything wrong. It was just stabilizing and it hasn't had to stabilize load in a long time. All right. So this is where we can kind of run into problems with the stories that we tell ourselves. Um, but yeah, you should expect some of this, these feelings to, to come about. And the goal is to keep moving, but we have to understand like when we're doing too much as well. Um, I would say in, in the beginning phases of it, like expect the soreness to stick around. Right? And that's where it's important to, to keep doing the same patterns a little bit to get your body used to it. Mm -hmm. And then over time, your body will adapt. And then that, those patterns will no longer become a problem. You can load them up. And then eventually you'll reach another uh, threshold where the stress becomes too great for the body to recover right away. And that's when the soreness comes back in. But we should never stop training. It's just it's a matter of degree at that point. Mm -hmm. Like How can we change the degree, whether that be some volume or changing the load? Because we can do too much too soon. And that can become a problem where then that goes down to go, uh, essentially causing more stress into the system or into the tissue that the body can handle. And that's when we're going to reach a breaking point. Um, could most of this be alleviated if the people were following an intelligent training program that actually used warm-ups where the individual is being prepped? Um, in all of the programs that I write and everything that we do here at Power Athlete, if you follow any of our training and you ever have, you'll see there's an extensive prep. And I even pulled the poll or pulled the word warm up out of it and I started calling it prep because the warm up is really what you do just to get your core temperature up. And oh, to get, I thought you were going to say you're chilly hot. Or you can get your chilly hot. Like if you want to jump rope, jump on a, a implement of choice, go for a walk, whatever, it just allows you to get a little bit of sweat, raise the core temperature, and get the tissue warm. That's a warm up for uh, me. Moist with lactic acid. Moist. For, <laughs> moist. <laughs> so moist. For me, the prep involves some form of training that actually preps the patterns yes. that we're going to use later in the training. Mm -hmm. um, everything <laughs> and almost every day in Power Athlete, you'll see something that is very trunk centric. Um, I realized early on in my NFL career that if I kept my trunk and I use the word trunk, not core, because uh, apples have cores and I never want to be related to an apple or a pear. But I think of big, strong oak so trees. Fruity. Right, that had these bitchin' trunks that survive everything. And that's what I looked at. I wanted to be strong like that. So there's a ton of trunk stability in. We'll do a transverse plane, frontal plane, sagittal plane, different types of movements, you know, primary with the trunk. And then there's always going to be something body weight we're moving through different planes so that these movements prep what we're doing. And what we found, especially with our fighters and some of the other athletes that we've been working with, the people that are coming to us with some pre-existing condition or some injury after we do the prep work and we start moving through these different planes in that kind of beginning segment, by the time we actually get to the primary movers that might be causing some distress, there seems to be no issues. Mm -hmm. And then we do some appropriate loading. We pull some warm-ups. We start kind of moving through a few working sets. And then we get into something where now all of a sudden we're watching them challenge posture and position. And we know what the movement should look like and that the minute it gets to the point where it starts to bubble a little bit, we're going to cut it off. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is we want to go right to that point and then pull it back. But I really think that if there's a proper prep involved in the program that's prioritizing these movements, uh, one of my favorite things for people that are having some form of back injury is teaching them to kettlebell swing. And not that I'm a huge lover of kettlebells, but the task-specific tension of swinging and releasing and then tightening down 
holding for the swing and that ability to turn on and off for some reason neurologically teaches them how to arrange their trunk in such a way that I see translation over into movement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up getting the chili hot, getting all warm, and then the the neurological readiness of the the preparation and the warm-up. And then I like to use the prep and the warm-up for working on deficiencies as well. Mm -hmm. So once I do an assessment on somebody and I'm writing an intelligently designed program as well, that's another important part that's doesn't seem to be done very well these days. Um, no, not, not very well at all. I mean, it's, no. it's, uh, it's a wild west. We, we use that, that first 15, 20 minutes to do stuff that's really hard for them, right? Because it's working on patterns or deficiencies of movement that they're not good at. And I'll get the same feedback over and over and over again where they're so happy to be done with the first 20 minutes because it's so hard for them that the rest of the stuff, like you mentioned, feels easy. And I can use myself as a, as a good example here too. Like I had really shitty ankle mobility because of being a catcher, I didn't know what it was like to squat with my heels down, right? Mm-hmm. I was on my toes all the time. And there was no amount of massage or mobilizations with bands or soft tissue work that was going to help my ankle mobility. I used 20, 30 minutes before my squatting sessions to load my ankles in various ways, various planes of motion. And we, we have a bunch of these in, in the movement prep series and everything too, like a three-way ankle and everything. We're taking the body through, di- through, through different planes of motion, but with an emphasis on loading the ankle first mm. because the human body is a system of systems and the joint that you load first in the system is a joint that's maximally loaded. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I got to the squat pattern, like I'm doing my hinging, I'm doing my squatting, now I'm overloading into positions that are way more beneficial. And now we're solidifying those positions through resistance training. Well, I mean, um, a position in the squat with a positive shin angle mm-hmm. where your knee is going over your toe is an athletic position mm-hmm. and a great determining factor for movement within space. I mean, there's very little, if, like I can't think of a single dynamic movement, whether it be jumping, sprinting, changing direction, where I've ever seen a vertical shin or even a negative shin angle. Um, it's always knee over the toe, driving through chest over a positive shin angle and to not squat like that and not have that ankle flexibility and mobility, um, feels like a huge gap in that. Which if you look at any of the movements in the foot course I developed for us too. Power athlete, power athlete, hq.com forward slash Academy for the foot course. <laughs> for the health course. It's a lot of positive shin angle. And that comes from, one, the athletic side of things, John, like you just mentioned, with recognizing that pattern in, in sport, but then also from the standpoint of everybody who's just like a regular gym goer, uh, many times they've been taught to squat with a vertical shin angle through a lot yeah. of the box squatting style stuff. And then this is where it comes down to the whole movement variability thing, right? It's not like there's anything inherently wrong with vertical shin angle. It does get a little bit more posterior chain activation. Yeah, right? but it's um, but, it, like... For, for power lifting, and if you're talking about just angles, right, you keep a vertical shin and then it's just basically a knee and a hip movement, mm-hmm. um, it might be more efficient, especially in geared lifting with a wide stance. But the translation to athleticism, and I know this because I was taught to mm-hmm. sh- squat with a vertical shin, and all it ended up doing was re- uh, resulting in patellar tendonitis. And I really think that it wasn't until we started putting on Oli shoes and I got into a more Olympic-based program with Todd Rice where we started now focusing on positive shin angle and getting our knees over the toes and everything that all of a sudden my ability to sprint, change direction, and my plyometric power uh, went through the roof. And one way he utilized that is he challenged you. You were only allowed to front squat. So he forced you into this position knowing that that was a limitation. Have you ever seen anybody front squat with a vertical shin? I'll do it right now. (laughs) It's, it's not going to be well. No, it's not a good movement. I, I know this because uh, I tried and I remember the sheer force in the position because, I mean, you have to almost push your knees forward and get your elbows up so you can get the bar in the center of the gravity. It's like an RDL, but in a front rack position. It's not a good position. Like a zercher, maybe? Pull down the elbows? Yeah, a vertical yeah. shin front squat. It's not good. Because what you know, tune into YouTube, yeah, yeah to shot. watch uh, Chris break his back in half. Yeah, the uh, shit razor blades. It is. Uh, an interesting movement. Um, but, you know, then, then you have people like, oh, you should only front squat. The problem is the limiting factor oh, for those front squat ends up becoming your ability to support the weight. And now it turns into what I like to think is a trunk stability exercise. So the key takeaways, listen to the language of, hey, you should only, and you might want to walk back and step away. We're challenging you through the warm up, especially mm-hmm. to challenge your ability to move finally boiling points, finding, identifying breaking points, moving dirt, do more than you did yesterday. I will say one of my pet peeves on the program feeds John is people saying, hey, this is my warm up. And they give some thing that they do every single day. That's something we want to avoid because it misses our opportunity to expand our athleticism, our movement 
uh, repertoire that we have in there. And the beauty uh, we talk about, as Zana said, okay, we utilize as an opportunity to target limiting factors, mm-hmm. limitations. Well, within our warm-up course on free warm-up course on powerathletehq.com forward slash academy, we speak, speak to, excuse me, the difference between warm-ups and training and warm-ups in competition, whether that's field court mm-hmm. sports or the sport of fitness and how they should differ and how to put you in the best position to utilize both. It's not that uh, you're against it. If anything, I'd like to think that you're a warm-up savant. Savant. There you go. You are, uh, in terms of being able to cook up warm-ups and pair them together and be able to see the threads of the warm-up into the training, you are world-class. Found where college-level coaches, they devalued it, and I found an opportunity to value it that we have every single day, whether it's training, practice, or competition. For this long-term development, if I have four years of athletes, we can get a lot of ground in that 10 minutes that's very underutilized. My final questions here for you, Matt, Mm -hmm. because we've learned a lot on this episode. What does move the dirt mean to you? Hmm. That's a a beautiful question, Dex. Did you come up with that all on your own? No. Harry Heppensaw worked very hard for this. Yes. No, just say yes. Yeah. Yes. Answers, yes. yes, he did. Yes. Um, so I, I look at it from this way, and, and I use this line a lot because I think it's a really uh, it's a really beautiful line to help give people a great mental representation of what training for health and longevity is all about, right? And that that comes down to my brand, which is rooted in movement, and movement is an acronym for movement, vitality, mindset, nutrition, and training. With a big piece of that being the vitality concept, which is your life force energy, mm. right? So what do you need to do each day? to put more money in the bank for vitality, right? To improve your vitality and to not only improve your vitality for that day, but then for the long term. How can we accumulate that for as long as possible um, for having that quality of life for as long as possible? So someday you have a shovel, someday you have a spoon, right? It's even when I got hurt, it was just a little bit each and every single day. Uh, And that's how we make progress, whether that be through rehabilitating injury in my world or through improving performance. And then I, I will say this because... Um, I think there's a lot of resistance sometimes to staying true to a program or even to doing what was necessary to get through an injury as well. It's this idea of like attractor states. Okay. Do you guys know what an attractor state is? It's like this. For our listeners, you should probably explain. It is a a baseline set pattern for any type of organism, right? We're always going to come back to the, the habits and the lifestyle patterns that we use the most, right? So you think about it like getting stuck in a rut, like a deep well, okay? Anytime that you try, and this is a great example of like trying to start a new program in the new year, start a new training cycle, or through getting through an injury, you have to start climbing out of that rut. So in doing so, you may feel sensations of pain, or you may get bored, or you may become uncomfortable in that situation. And your body and your nervous system is going to do everything in its power to knock you back down into that well. Because that is the state that it likes to be in. That's the state that it likes to be comfortable in. Which is why it's really hard for people to lose weight, to get off the couch, and to, to start doing what's necessary. Because that couch and sitting in front of Netflix is way more enjoyable for the body, right? It doesn't take a lot of energy, okay? But that's where this, I think this whole move the dirt concept comes in. Is like you can do just a little bit each day to keep progressing you forward. And if you keep doing that little bit, that's where we then build the momentum to help you get to the top of that valley. And then what's interesting is once you get to the top of that, now you're at like a precipice of do we fall back down or do we set a new attractor state? And that's what becomes really, really cool. You, you reach that point of some people reach that goal and they're like, oh, well, what now? And they stop training yeah. and they fall back into that rut. But now how can we take what we just learned through that process of getting better and carry it on into something new? And that's what we're, we're all about here. Speaking of goals, what are you digging towards in 2023? Ooh, business or personal? Can it be both? It can't be both, I guess. Sure, we can go there. Um, business for me is I'm trying to go mostly online with everything. On the line. On the line. On the line. On the line because I travel a lot for a living um, in internationally traveling. So in probably six, seven different countries a year. Uh, with the work I do with the Olympics. And so getting online and being able to do things remotely 
uh, through a remote health program and through different courses and uh, through a, a shooting specific platform that I'm going to be developing. It's going to be a big community that's coming out here in the new year to uh, help everybody that's in the shooting community or if you use a firearm for your job responsibilities, so paramilitary, police as well, that's going to be a spot to go to learn how to assess your body, rehabilitate, train do some movements, right? And then also getting on there and doing a bunch of Q&A sessions and live training and stuff. I think it's going to be a really, really cool place to hang out. Uh, so to be able to do that, now I can still work and make an impact on these communities and, and the, the training community while I'm overseas and while I'm, I'm fulfilling those responsibilities as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, personal. Yeah, personal. personal. Yeah, so um, I just got a new house in, in June of 2020. And so we're in the process of remodeling all of that and turning it into a, a really cool, it was a 1953 home. And so starting the process of getting the kitchen redone, we've done one bathroom already. And then uh, my old dingy 1970 600 square foot detached two car garage, I turned into a gym. Nice. Finally redoing that whole thing and making it temperature controlled because working out in the summer <laughs> in Arizona really, really sucks. We know about it. Yeah, yeah. So finally getting that um, up and running and, and honestly just kind of going with the flow and, and living life and seeing where that takes me. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Well, how much digging is that going to take for the remodeling? All of it, all of it. Lots of digging, lots of digging. I'm going to need some backhoes some days. Mm. Yeah. Well, lots of door corners to explore <laughs> as always. Indeed. That's what you do best. <laughs> you know me all too well. Uh, the moving the dirt's interesting. Uh, especially within the training programs and for people, it's because I think it gives a little bit of out. Uh, um, I think that there's a stress too within the training stuff, especially with training programs, because you look at it and I run into this almost every day from somebody, um, you know, like I tend to program more, like I, I would rather overfeed you when you come to my mm -hmm. house and let you say, hey, I'm going to push the plate away, then you come over and leave hungry. So within the training mm -hmm. programs, I tend to probably put a little too much in there. Um, but what I would rather people do is if I program some form of rest, I want to give somebody like active something to do, whether it's a, you know, walk or it's a, you know, bike or whatever. I mean, if we're on the rest days, but even if like, so a little bit of movement, a little bit of trunk, um, you know, a little bit of flow movement. So, um, a lot of times with the move the dirt idea, people get this feeling of like, Oh, you know, if something's programmed, I'm tired. I don't want to do it today. You know, if I miss and, my whole deal is like, you know, you don't have to go in and kill it every single day. The people that consistently train, and I think, you know, through all of the, I mean, it's pretty amazing when we look at the backside metrics for all of mm -hmm. our programs, the individuals that are the most consistent, regardless of, you know, training intensity, training volume, all this, the person that can maintain the consistency the longest meets their goals in the end. You know, it's not the guy that, you know, smashes it for three days and we don't hear from him for three weeks. The people that consistently train, consistently logging their numbers and following the training program, meet their goals like at a hundred percent rate. And I can think of the people that have been following us for eight, nine, 10 years consistently are absolutely smashing whatever they're using the training for. Yeah. So if you think about the move the dirt, it's about consistency and it's about doing something every day. Like you don't get a shovel, some days you get a spoon. You know, whatever it is, as long as we're consistently moving, you end up moving towards your goal. And I think it allows for a little bit of releasing of that anxiety that every day I have to go mm -hmm. in and smash it. I mean, you know, a big part of what we do, especially on the backside of this, is managing people and being like, dude, you're not going to set a PR every single day. And if you did, I'm going to probably reach out and figure out what the fuck you're doing yeah, or what you're taking. the bottom, now we're here. Yeah. I mean, but the, the idea of like, you know, if I hit a PR... Um, you know, uh, once a month of something I choose to PR or twice a month or three times a month, you know, moving through different movements. Uh, I'm pretty excited that I'm continuing to, to push myself and get stronger and do this. But at the end of the day, I'm not measuring my progress every single day based on whether or not I was able to slay the last. And I think that move the dirt mentality has given me this idea of a long game that I'm just going to consistently keep showing up and eventually I will get to my goal as long as I don't stop engaging and showing up. So that's kind of what I, what I hear. And, and I try to really push that mentality towards the people following our training program or really anybody I encounter is consistency wins overall. Final question for you, Matt. Mm. You're not afraid of taking on new challenges. Mm -mm, never. How do you handle, I know, or maybe I don't know, is there a little voice inside your head that says, like, you can't do this or, mm. oh, we can't or something? And then... How do you either shut it up or use it as motivation to get started? Well, I, I think you're speaking to a little bit here of like imposter syndrome, 
which never really seems to go away, no matter how hard you try to battle against it. There's always that little voice in your head that's saying, hey, you're not good enough for this. Hey, you can't do this. You can't accomplish that. Um, and it's, I don't think you can even, you can't just push it down either and repress it. You have to. That's my move as an Irish just, Catholic. Just suppress everything. Just brush everything <laughs> underneath the rug and prevent and pre, uh, just pretend it's not happening. Well, it's, uh, it will soon erupt into it, yeah. a church picnic. So, <laughs> well, it always comes out. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I, uh, I mean, this, this is what everybody does, right? You just kind of yeah. keep shouldering it. You keep shouldering it. You keep shouldering it. And then it gets to the point where it rises so much that you can't breathe. And then you just fucking go postal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I think that happens a lot more in men, like you were speaking to yeah. earlier, John, because we internalize the shit out of everything. Um, but for me, you know, even having the level of ethos that I do with all the Olympic stuff and, you know, working with the SEAL team guys and everything like that, there is, there's always this level of why am I here? Why am I, why is it me that's doing this? Right. So that starts are, to. Are the, the, so your imposter syndrome more has to do with like, uh, like I'm, I'm a fraud, like I shouldn't yes. be here mm-hmm. because mine mm-hmm. is like, this shit sucks. I can't believe people like that this. too. Isn't this fucking awful? It's a combination of yeah. all that. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so for me, it's not, it's not so much of like trying to repress it and, and internalize it. I try to acknowledge it and bring it to the forefront and actually give it a name of like, Hey, what, you know, why are you experiencing this right now? It's his name, Robert Paulson. Yes. <laughs> to me now, it, it more so there's a different identity around it. Now it means I'm in the right spot. Like I'm doing what I'm, I should be doing because it's fucking uncomfortable. And it's giving me this sensation of like, oh my God, I'm not good enough to be here. But then I make it, I change the perspective on it and say, hey, this, this means you're going down the right path. You're going in the right direction and I embrace it. And I try to harness and utilize the energy then to push me forward. And then I also, and you, you spoke to this too, John, about community. I try to have the right people around me like you guys who can one, call me out on my bullshit and then two, bolster me up when I need to. Like to support and say, hey, you are the right person for this job. You are the right person to, to carry this on and to, to build this program and to lead in this way. I think it's really, really important to have both of those qualities yeah. and those, that right team around you as well. Yeah. I think it's great. Boom. Well, if you're in need of a team and mm-hmm. a program and direction, and challenge and dirt to move head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training to check out all of our training program offerings and find the right one for you and if you need help you can always reach out at info powerathletehq.com and somebody will get back to you and help you lead you on your mission yeah and they're probably sitting here and <laughs> yeah continue to tune into power athlete radio you can watch us subscribe on youtube spotify if you're out there on iTunes, give us a five-star review. That's all we ask. It costs you nothing, but for some algorithm reason, propels our show to the top. To the top. To and the that's, moon. That's what we're digging for in 2023 for Power Athlete Radio, to get to the moon. Well, at least we never it's made any like Bitcoin or FTX references in 2022 about we're trying to take this podcast to the top. You just did. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was, yeah. With two weeks left, you just did. Uh, no, I would never relate it to crypto. <laughs> The, my the crypt the uh, L.A. Lakers stadium big fan of stadium nicknames at <laughs> <laughs> age well the, yeah the uh, the FTX stadium it's in the toilet oh they bought one no I, I think, I think they, they did did. did they name something man. oh it was the Miami Heat they bought the Miami yeah, Heat one that's right I man I was digging in on that I think it is so fascinating. Um, this is bonus listeners. With, so just I'm so fascinated by one, the fact that they went out and they got these influencers, mm-hmm. like, like Mr. Wonderful from uh, Shark, Shark Tank, Tank yeah. paid him 15 million to be like, this is the safest place you could put your money. I mean, a ton of these celebrities went out and you know gave these like personal recommendations, recommendations and you know got paid for it. And then uh, you know the way that money was getting transferred. I mean, unsecured loans and this. I mean, it's such an interesting web, and uh, that money just evaporated. And dude, it's a it's really pretty interesting thing, um, you know. Crypto. Uh, I don't know if you saw like Binance, which is the top crypto mm-hmm. exchange. I mean, people are just pulling their stuff out and hemorrhaging. It's really, it's really, it's really fascinating to see and watch. Uh, I follow some uh, different you know podcasts and some different like newsletters associated with it, just because I think it's such a fascinating decentralized currency to me is really fascinating. Um, but unfortunately, as a consumer, there are so many layers that we're not privy to. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, on, on Instagram, I love, there's always these guys that are like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to rock the market and this. And like, you always have these, you know, looks like some dude in his mom's basement. 
And I think over time, Warren Buffett is by far the most successful uh, investor in the world. I mean, dude, dude has crushed it forever. And he has a team of individuals that like pour tens of thousands of hours that are looking for like the, the smallest nuance. And then when you look at his portfolio, he's big into Apple. He owns 15% of Apple, mm-hmm. you know, and he only got into that two or three years ago. So if you look at the institutional betting that he does, I mean, it's not like, you know, fringy type mm-hmm. crypto and this, it's all solidified S&P. So it's just, it's really fascinating to see that like all these guys in these, you know, I mean, I saw another interesting one that, um, it was um, um, repos on luxury vehicles over 150,000 went up like, uh, you know, fucking 5,000%. Like all of a sudden they, they put out uh, these things for these repos because all these crypto guys were basically buying crypto, borrowing against the crypto, leveraging more crypto, buying more. And then on paper, all of a sudden they're over leveraged. The market crumbles, they have margin calls. And now all of a sudden they can't afford their Lamborghinis and all their stuff. So, I mean, these guys Well, why lease when you can just rent it? And then shoot all your content for a year of you driving around Miami Beach, and then, yeah, just bring it back. Yeah, I mean, and it's, pretend it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. It it always makes me think too, um, and and I don't know um, just because I'm I'm not as well versed in these individuals, but like the Andrew Tate with all these viral videos of him and his Bugatti, and it's like Andrew Tate just bought a hundred million dollar airport. Andrew Tate does this, does he, or is it just the video saying it, which is creating this market? explosion in this like cult of like it's around a him. effect it is influence. It, yeah it's it you know and here's the thing like it, it like you don't have to know if it's true or not mm-hmm. you just like see him walk into an airport with luggage he just bought this i mean it like we assume it's true because we see it and we've been told that it's true yeah which is like uh, was it cog um cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance is what that yeah yeah i mean we're We've, we've turned into this idea of like, because these people look important and this information is presented to me, it must be true. Whereas I look at it and think like, something doesn't look right. But also with my mind, I think everything's bullshit until it's proved not to be. Does it pass the sniff test? I don't know these individuals. I, I, I just think it sounds like nonsense to me. But again, um, I also count myself lucky that I didn't grow up with a Wi-Fi connection or a cell phone that I lived an entirely almost half of my life before all of this. So I have perspective. I don't know for individuals who have lived their entire lives with the Wi-Fi connection and social media in this, like this is the world in which they live in. I remember a different time. That's why it's so difficult because they don't have that beautiful gift of contrast that you do, right? They, they don't know what it was like before the age of the computers and the cell phones and everything. But these swindlers they've been around for eons and decades yes. uh-huh. so the whether it's banking or the fitness industry like there's clowns smelling snake oil in any industry well i mean i just find it fascinating that the like the same cult of personalities in all these mm-hmm. different industries such as fitness fitness banking and now through the power of social media i can dip into the banking world which i know nothing and see the same characteristics and outlandish claims like somebody invented the question mark well, that exists across all of these. Well, like you see but some no like fitness so well to now avoid said personalities in other industries. Well, you end up using the same barometer that you do for everything. Like uh, when it comes to finance or that type of stuff, the day that all of a sudden I see Warren Buffett um, put 30% of his net worth into cryptocurrency, then all of a sudden you look and you're like, all right, this might be something worth investing into. And I've looked at crypto for almost two years now. I mean, around, um, I think it was lockdown is when I first got really interested in it, but listen to a ton of stuff on it and try to read as much as I can. But at the end of the day, like the single most successful investor that we've ever seen, a guy like Warren Buffett, like he hasn't diverged into it. His stuff diverges into these other huge companies, you know? And so like some kid in his basement with like seven monitors around who's, you know, talking about this and this. I mean, like at the end of the day, I tend to go with that just like in the fitness deal, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like the individuals who, for me, uh, that have trained world-class athletes and are based around performance that we've seen that actually have measurable, repeatable success over and over again with tried and, and true principles. And had the opportunity to speak to on Power Athlete Radio, the oh. premier podcast in strength and Yeah, and we've had every one of them on in terms of like whether it be nutrition and science and, and performance and this. I mean, yeah, the weightlifting, the, speed, yeah. and Yeah, no, I mean, we, we know them. And... If you're training purely, uh, so this is another interesting divergence for us. Um, my goal is not aesthetics. Like 
we're in kind of a different space. I mean, there's people and there's bodybuilding coaches and there's people that their entire deal is hypertrophy and aesthetics and aesthetics. And at the end of the day, you want to be big and strong and you want to look good. I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. It's propelled me a long way in this world. But it's always been a byproduct of performance-based training, mm-hmm. moving heavy weights, doing things dynamic, being able to use your body within space. Um, you know, I, I look at these bodybuilders, and we've been to these shows. We were at the Olympia. We were at the Arnold. Extremely impressive, the amount of work and effort they put into it. But realizing, like, like I'm a big dude. I can't imagine being five foot four, 300 pounds. Like, how do these guys sit on a plane? How do they... You know, how do they wipe their own ass? How do they, like, they, there's no way for them to, like, actually dry their backs. I mean, they become so, um, like, just, like, this, like, work themselves into this very specific place. And while it's extremely impressive, to me, it just doesn't look like a good time. And I think the idea of training is to increase function and be able to use it in such a way. And I, I think if the only reason you're training is some form of vanity, which, at the end of the day, as long as you're training, but I think it becomes extremely hard to be consistent on that because it's so hard to be able to measure this thing, you know. And it's so individualized. And that's the beauty of what we are aiming to accomplish with power athlete mm-hmm. programming. We understand the life cycle of an athlete and we can get a hell of a lot of people started on their fitness journeys with lean and able into the novice barbell. Once they establish a, bur- a base level of strength, then what are you aiming to accomplish? Whether it's Jack Street to put on more cross-sectional functional tissue or athleticism with field strong. And then into the later life, is it that vitality, mm-hmm. the ability to maintain muscle mass with our grindstone, or even farther down the performance line, if you go to a field strong and then say you make it to the NFL, you make it to the pros, then hell hit us up yeah. like the, the, the fighters and we can really dive into the individual expression of athleticism, identifying your limitations like with our, our NSW dudes and putting them in the best position to be badass motherfuckers. Well, um, Long ago when I plotted how this whole thing kind of goes, you know, when you get through your linear progression, there's kind of a divergence in the road. You either need to create more central nervous system efficiency or you need to put on a little cross-sectional size muscle. Mm-hmm. Jack Street started by creating bigger athletes. So there was an idea that we wanted to put on muscle, but it wasn't like the sake of just putting on muscle to put on muscle. We wanted our athletes to be strong. We wanted to be able to move and then we wanted them to be useful in a lot of ways. And, and uh, adding some excess tissue, uh, you know, some thick slabs of muscle to make it more useful and continue to be, you know, athletic and be able to do things that you want to do and be able to use your, you know, to quote Matt Vincent, your avatar to do cool <laughs> shit, which I would think is such a funny, funny phrase. But the idea and really just the notion and the, you know, the training effect of being able to go out and be useful. And, you know, we have different programs that fit within it, but um, I've, I've really always gone back, whether it be finance, fitness, nutrition, whatever you're looking at, I believe there's individuals that become pillars and that their message has never changed. You know, power athletes method has, has never diverged, didn't diverge since cross of football. It's been the same and consistent. It's not as if all of a sudden we go into a rebrand and the message, no, it's always been consistency, effort, having a plan, using, you know, key principles and just implementing them with relentless precision and perfection and doing it over a long period of time. I mean, it just, is a recipe for success. Uh-huh. We've improved our ability to deliver the message and the beauty. Eat the weak, be the hammer, and now move the dirt. I like it. Power Athlete Radio, thank you for tuning in. A little bonus. This is behind the scenes. We would have this conversation whether we were recording or not. That's the fun mm-hmm. stuff. That is very true. All right. Kick ass, and we will see you soon. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Pleasure as always. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Bye. 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 This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, Go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq.